0: you know, you've got to have character in leadership um, on the one hand. On the other hand, I'm kind of a character <laughs> <laughs> when looking for key talent, especially as it pertains to character, is the organizations often forget to drop back and ask each other and make sure they have a clear understanding of what are the dogma things about character that we cannot by John.
1: William Vanderlumen, founder and CEO of Vanderlumen Search Group, has combined his experience as a pastor, working in HR, and running his executive search firm to speak uniquely into identifying when leaders are ready to lead again. Well, what do we mean by that? William shares what he picks up on while interviewing potential pastors over all these years, and how a restored and redeemed life of character is a powerful tool God uses today
0: somebody describes a failure or a lapse in judgment or a time that was really rough, are they speaking as a victor or a victim? Or put more plainly, what part of the mistake are they owning right out of the gate?
2: Hey, William Vanderbloem, and welcome back uh, to the ECFA podcast. It's so good to have you. Great to be
0: here, Michael. Been a long time uh, fan of your work. And uh, I don't know if I've ever seen a time where it's more needed than now. So glad to be here and and to help
2: however I can. Well, thank you. Hey, appreciate that. And yeah, we feel the same way so much about the work that you do. And, you know, we were having conversation recently, William, just about the importance of, yeah, you spoke to the need now more than ever, but about, you know, issues like integrity in leadership healthy leadership, the importance of that, that's been a real focus for us lately here at ECFA and and on the podcast and, you know, had lots of great conversations. We want to make sure your perspective's part of that, because I know in the work that you do, you know, working with so many uh, churches, ministries, faith-based organizations, I mean, in the process of uh, finding the right leaders, I mean, these kinds of issues around leadership integrity, I mean, they're so fundamental, right? Absolutely, and I, I think what i am learning, Michael, now, you know, your
0: work and mine might diverge a little bit, like, you know, if you've got a CFO who embezzles, well, they don't need to be the CFO anymore, right? Uh, or if you've got somebody who's misleading donors, eh, they probably don't need to be leading donors. <laughs> uh, what, what I'm finding is really interesting to me is trying to figure out, okay, the older I get, the more I realize I make a lot of mistakes. And so the question I'm trying to unearth as we interview candidates, you know, churches, ministries, schools hire us to find their top step. How do I figure out if somebody's recovered from a failure? And so that's been a pretty cool little research project we've done. Uh, but in no way do I want to come off as like the expert in integrity. Uh, I'll, you know, I, I am over in a glass house within a glass subdivision.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: not, not throwing any rocks at all. I you know, it's interesting. Sorry to go on and on. I'm a recovering no. preacher. Recovering hey. preacher. So I uh I'm glad. But i am fascinated. You know, if you look and you study uh Paul's writings that built most of the New Testament. Uh one one class I took at Princeton and seminary was on Galatians and There are a couple different schools of thought, but most of the scholars I tend to agree with think that Galatians is probably one of Paul's earliest letters. Okay, so how does Paul start Galatians? Paul, an apostle, called by God, not by man. Okay, that's pretty cool. No self-esteem issues. That's right on, you know. Uh, You get to the end of Paul's life. One of his latest letters... He says, "I am the chief of all sinners."
2: <laughs> change in tone. Just, yeah. Well,
0: change in tone. So, did he? Did he screw up? Did he move backwards in life? No. Actually, I think the walk and process of becoming like Jesus, the, the sanctification process, is more and more an awareness of just what He did on the cross and just how badly I need His grace. Uh, So I don't want to, you know, anytime I enter a conversation about integrity, I don't, I want to make sure people understand I'm leading as, I I might beat Paul as chief of all sinners. And uh, it's, for me, it's more a question of how do we show if somebody's recovered from that? How do we keep things from happening in a repeated fashion? And uh, that, that's, like I say, some of that's not germane to your work. You get somebody that makes a draws what we would call the office a red card yeah that's not going to work but uh yeah that that may not be where you wanted to go with that question but uh it's super interesting to see what jesus does to help people
2: become forgiven sinners oh no doubt about that i mean and yeah we've had some great conversations with others just around that idea of yeah we totally want to approach this topic from a a spirit of of humility and recognizing—I mean, not to repeat necessarily past conversations, but I mean there's so many unique burdens uh, that leaders bear and like the responsibilities and and just all of those things. But I think that that's so key into taking into account. I think where we both share that same heart and that same spirit is, hey, what can we do as a community to be able to come alongside leaders to be proactive to help provide a level of care and support for their integrity. Cause the truth is like we, we just all, we need each other. Um, so yeah, I know, I know that you see the importance of that as well. So what would you say, William, because maybe the the best place to start is sort of at the beginning and you know, you work with so many organizations in the process of helping to identify and find, you know, the right fit, the right leader for a season. So, um, why is it critical? I mean boards and others that are responsible for a search. I mean, they're looking at all the competencies and skills to fill a position, but I think we don't overlook the importance, right? Of character and integrity and, yeah. and even the beginning process. So speak to why that's so important from your experience.
0: Yeah. Well, it's an old adage. It, yeah, most of your listeners have probably heard it before, but you look for three or four C's when you're hiring character, competency, chemistry, some people would say cultural fit. Uh, but that, that's that's an old adage, and there's a reason it's been repeated, because it, it bears repeating. And uh, you know, you got to have character in leadership, uh, on the one hand. On the other hand, I'm kind of a character.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and you
0: That's are, too. One. Yeah. And so it's like, how do you measure whether or not a person falls within the boundaries of what i would call mandatory character strongly desired desired character and then oh that'd be really great if they also had this it's a, it's like uh it's like you know must agree really would like you to agree sort of agree or doctrinally the uh the the dogma the center things we can't disagree about the key doctrine the things that we probably need to be agreeing about and then the adiaphora, the things that, you know, it doesn't really matter whether we agree or not. Uh, uh-huh. And I think, I think for organizations, the key, the, the key that I think is often overlooked when looking for key talent, especially as it pertains to character, is the organizations often forget to drop back and ask each other and make sure they have a clear understanding of what are the dogma things about character that we cannot Budge on. And no matter how much we like them and how much Jesus has forgiven them and all that, like that just isn't going to work. That's usually a short list. I think it should be a short list. Uh, and that's where you guys are so great. I mean, people have to go through a long process to be accredited, to keep that sort of, uh, uh, sorry if this is the wrong analogy, but good housekeeping seal of approval. Like, sure. That, yep. You know, so if organizations could get clear on what are the things that we really have to have present. For instance, um, we've got one client that, for them, uh, they don't want employees that carry a lot of debt. Doesn't matter if they you know, are paying on time, doesn't matter if they do a good job, but for this particular client, which is a very, very large church, They've just gotten burned a bunch of times on people who are in debt tend to be distracted. They tend to not be able to give full attention. You can't ever really pay them enough because they're always, right, you know, out spending what they're earning. And for them, that is a dogma issue. Like they they also are a group of people who are like, hey, if there's been a a a uh, an inappropriate relationship, you know, in the past, show me you've recovered, and we can talk. Well, I've got other clients, they're just as smart, who would be just the opposite. You'd be like, no, inappropriate relationship, that's it. You're disqualified from ministry forever. And these are smart people too, so it's not right or wrong. But debt, you know, if you're managing it, if it's so you could go to seminary, then we're okay. I don't think enough organizations sit down and ask the hard question of, what are the things that would draw, my son plays soccer, uh, what would draw a red card? You're out. Sorry and what would draw a yellow card and if you do another yellow card it turns into a like where are those lines and i think it the clearer an organization can be about what works for them in character and what's workable uh you know what's mandatory and what's strongly desired the
2: the easier it's going to be to interview for character because if you're looking for perfect you're not going to find it 100% yeah no i like that i appreciate how uh, yeah, you sort of f- flip that in a way of like, a lot of times people are thinking, okay, what are those questions that we need to ask of the person? But I like, there's a lot of wisdom, William, and what you just said, which is it really needs to start with what are some questions we need to ask ourselves first before we then go, you know, and ask some of those questions. So I think there's, there's a lot of wisdom in that. And then how about getting back to that, that idea a little bit too, like, let's say once an organization is really clear you know, about what are those non, or non-negotiables, non uh, or what is essential? Um, how do you find a way in a search process or in a discernment process of bringing in a leader to to really ask what could be some of those awkward questions? How do you do that? Well,
0: that's easy, Michael. You hire a search firm.
2: <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Without giving any way the secret sauce, you know? Yeah, yeah. You, no, no, you no, do, no, 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 no. No, I actually. So this will sound salesy, but there is some value in having a third party ask those questions because they can't ever get unasked. It's like the old uh, children's lesson image of the tube of toothpaste. Once you squeeze it out, it ain't going back in. And uh-huh. so whoever asks it is kind of the hammer. And uh, you know, so I, I would start with who should ask those questions, right? And uh-huh. it might be the person who's going to be the direct supervisor because they, you're an organization that we ask hard questions, we tell the last 10% of the truth, we come at it hard and fast. That's fine if that's who you are. But if you're a, a conflict avoidant, maybe it needs to be a board member, maybe it needs to be a search consultant. But think about who is going to ask this question because it will leave a mark on the relationship. And it can be a good mark, but it's going to leave a mark. So, like, assess that first, okay? Uh, and then once you've figured out who is going to ask these questions, and and you know what you're trying to unearth, what's the mandatory that we might... You know, I, I used to say... <laughs> I was so bad, Michael, when I first started. I think you've heard me say this before, but... You know, clients hire us to do a search, and when we take them a finalist, I just don't need any surprises, you know? And so it's like, I'd try and be an, I, I was much closer to when I was a preacher at the time, so I still had a little bit more preacher voice. And I, I'd say, before we end the interview, I need to know, are there any moral failures in your past? You know, trying to get to skeleton in the closet, surprise kind of thing. And I think what I've learned is, um, I sounded like an idiot. And you don't have to say it that way for smart people to answer. So and and I realized this when I was I was interviewing a guy, I say he's a guy he who's just almost a kid. He was probably 23 or 4 for a student ministry position. And I said, Michael, are there any moral failures in your past? And he just paused. And then he looked at me and he said, Mr. Van Lumen, I am a moral failure.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh. Right.
0: okay, so much for the Princeton Seminary education. I just got schooled by the 23-year-old who did student seminary. Yeah, there you go. So I think what I've learned to ask is uh, a little softer tone, clear, but a softer tone, because here's the thing. If a person can't recognize what you're asking, that's a problem. And what I learn to do is couch things in terms of hey look i'm so amazed at how much people can forgive i mean it's it's why we're in this business right we believe that dead people can walk that sinners can be forgiven that blind people can see what i have found is hard is when we get caught with surprises so i just i want to give you a chance right now to clear the air of any surprises that might come up later that would be a real embarrassment to you or that, or to our organization uh if they should come out later I like that that's that's usually pretty good for people to say well you know I went bankrupt at one point or uh you know for the people who are in their mid 40s who went to college right when the internet was you know hitting full throttle and and hormonal boys were looking things on the internet they shouldn't have like this pretty pretty widespread problem the world of things you shouldn't look at in the hands of a 19 year old um like that can come out so are there any surprises right now if you can get past that like the 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 core issues, the red cards, the dogma, what must be. What I find super interesting is to give people a chance to talk about recovery. And what I mean when I say that is, hey, look, I make mistakes all the time. Sometimes they're big. Sometimes they're little. Think back for me. I'll you know, listen carefully when I say this. Think back with me about a time you made a pretty big error in judgment. And walk me through what happened and what happened afterward. Now, if you listened, I said a pretty big error in judgment. Um I'm learning over the years that if you ask superlative questions, it paralyzes candidates. Michael, what's the single most significant accomplishment of your life? Well, you know, that's uh, accepting Jesus into my heart, you know. <laughs> Oh, shit. Marrying my wife. Like, that's not what you're really asking, is it? You want to know, tell me a time that you did something you felt really good about your work, like God used you and you did an amazing thing. Say with failures, what's the single biggest failure in your life? You know, now tell me about it. You've already cleared the deck as best you can tell about the dogma, like no surprises are coming. Tell me about a time that was what you would call a pretty significant error in judgment and what and what happened then and what happened afterward. Because then I think that you can start to see a level of self-awareness in the candidate or a lack of it. And most people don't have it. And you can hear whether or not they have found a path to healing whatever caused the error in judgment. Because if you find somebody who found like a path toward healing, like Paul might say. Well, one error in judgment. Let's see. I helped stone Stephen. That was pretty dumb, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but here's what happened. I met Jesus on a road. He turned my life around. I was blind for three days. I got under the covering of the apostles. I, so, letting people talk about where they foresee an error in judgment uh, reveals a lot. And if they say, "Well, you know, I've just been really fortunate. I haven't had," any real big errors in judgment. Then you end the interview and you walk away and you go fight another candidate. Because I that is just there's so that's such a big blind spot. It it'll it'll hurt you eventually. So it's so, so those two things. It's once you're clear as an organization on what is absolutely uncompromisable on our point, on our part. And I mean like really uncompromisable, everybody's like, well they must be and it's five hundred things. No. Like what's if this happened, they would get fired today. And then what is? Eh, they made a mistake, but they they came back, and and hear about the comeback. And there's some really um, concrete pieces of evidence that we've learned to look for when asking and letting a candidate self describe what they've done after an error in judgment. And and there are about seven of them. And we've we come to these through interviewing 30,000 people. We've come to it through talking to counselors and therapists, psychiatrists, say, here's evidence of real healing and the person ready to go again. Uh, but that may be a whole
2: nother podcast. No, hey, that's so good. <laughs> um, Just taking in a lot of what you just shared. I think, too, something else that comes to mind for me is, yeah, the importance of that conversation sort of right up front in the selection process. But then, yeah, the reality is, you know, someone comes on the team, life happens, we all continue to be human, just all of those things. You know, how do organizations in recognizing that reality and wanting to provide a level of care and support for a leader's integrity, like how do we continue (laughs) to create a safe space for that kind of conversation to continue beyond just the initial interview process, like if you're a board with uh, you know a level of oversight uh, you know ultimately say over the CEO or senior pastor, uh, whether it's that board or there's some other group that has that responsibility, like how do we continue to have that conversation and create a safe space?
0: Well, that's such a good question. I find that far too often boards assume that everybody knows the rules like how often are you as a board reiterating what's important to us and what's not like hey guys we pay money every year to be a member of ecfa we go through a process to do that and it's because we have this incredibly clear conviction that we need to be uh, above reproach with how we deal with our finances So just so we're all clear, if you're not above reproach for it, you're out of line with us. Uh, You know, a severe example that doesn't have to do with finances, my friend and client, Dave Ramsey, uh, one of his things is gossip. Like, he's just like, not going to have it in the office. And for a long time, it was, uh, you know, no strikes and you're out, like or one strike and you're out. You gossip, you're fired. Doesn't matter where you're on the org chart. He's backed off that a little bit. I think he's got like a one warning rule now, or something or other. Well, how do you do that? Well, you start by keeping it really clear and consistently communicating to people. Make sure people know where the fence posts are of behavior that's allowable and not. So that when you have to say sorry, dude, you you just drew the red card. It's not a surprise. Second piece would be. You know, how are you providing safe spaces? conversation and that might not even be with the board members it might be are you providing options for counseling for your people so they can go if you're starting to feel like uh, there might be an issue how are you how are you communicating to your employees that someone who's starting to feel that way has a safe place to go talk um and you know i think more than more than anything that i've seen michael with boards communicating with senior pastors is, tell me who your 2 a.m. friends are. Mm. What what does that mean? What does that mean? Your 2 a.m. friend is the one that you can call at 2 a.m., and they will come get you out of jail without asking any questions, without asking any. And then, once it's no longer 2 a.m., they're going to look at you and say, what were you thinking and how do we keep this from happening again? I think men are particularly bad at finding those relationships took me a long time to figure that out. And I've got some good ones. In fact, one that heard me give this talk one time, raise his hand in the Q and a after he said, just so you guys know, I'm William's 4am friend and I bring a shovel. So (laughs) 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 it gets worse after two. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, really like, like, you show me a leader who has fallen. I'll show you one who doesn't have close friends and or is really tired. Straight line back to a fallen leader is a tired leader, overworked leader, burned out leader. So are you creating places for a person to have a, a, a city of refuge, you know, like a counseling option, uh, regular sabbatical that's kind of forced? And are you are you making sure that you, you don't have to micromanage it? but that you as a board member are uh, ensuring that your pastor or leader has really close friends of the same gender that they can take the hard things to. And at uh, the end of the day, Michael, I, you know what I can't not figure out how to do? I can't keep liars from lying. Yeah, yeah, it just happens. I mean, coming from the chief of all centers, you know— sometimes you just get deceived and you've got to have stop gaps in place like ECFA
2: standards that prevent one person from having all the control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's good. And, you know, yeah, you make a good point that um, that will, you know, you can't prevent that, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that organizations that are surrounding a leader like shouldn't step up and be willing to, to engage in this way or ask some of these questions. Cause I think, I don't know if that's, been your experience but i'd say in what we've seen there's far too few uh that are either willing or ready to to be able to ask these kinds of questions so i think it's a good think, challenge to raise
0: well and and it's you know the whole board composition thing is such a difficult dance you could have a rotation of new leaders and then they don't have the relational equity to ask those questions or you could have Leaders that have known the pastor forever and ever and ever, and the backside of that is sometimes it turns into a bit of a old boys network or we let pastor do whatever you want. I, I don't know how you strike the balance between those two. I don't know that
2: anyone's figured out the singular answer for that. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, but, but definitely some good considerations. I wanted to pick back up on something too, that, uh, you've mentioned a couple times already in our conversation, which is, sounds like you're doing some work around studying. Um, did you mention some like recovering leaders or those that have perhaps Mm -hmm. been through some things and, uh, yeah, maybe you've learned from them, just kind of an open opportunity to talk about what you're learning. Yeah, well, we're actually going to have, out I, we're putting finishing touches on it but uh you know
0: seven pieces of evidence that show someone has recovered from a fall and uh I, I can run through one or two of them with you now and then sooner or later we'll have the white paper out and come back on and do a there longer you go conversation. All seven. But, yep, yeah you know one for sure is when a person can bring up their mistake without me having to dig it out of them Especially if you're having if you're having to have the conversation, look now. I mean, really, think hard. Is there anything that you haven't told us that would embarrass you? Know, like you have to go all. Is there a moral failure? In our life? And but if the person and you say, "Tell me about a lapse in judgment," you and they go pretty deep, pretty fast. That's a pretty good sign that they've recovered. They don't have to tell you everything, and you don't want somebody who's a uh, a walking you know, damaged good, but if they bring it up in the right context on their own, that's a pretty good sign. Uh, Second thing is, and this one is so rare, Michael, but when somebody describes a failure or a lapse in judgment or a time that was really rough, are they speaking as a victor or a victim? Or put more plainly, what part... Of the mistake are they owning right out of the gate and what portion of the conversations about what happened to them you know it could be something as uh as victim driven as well you know there was a group of people at that church that were out to get me and it didn't matter what i did i was just always doing wrong in their eyes and that does happen right that does happen but if that's your explanation of where you messed up that's not cool uh, you know, the, the, the more nuanced version might be, well, I did make a mistake. Now, it was 2020. We were in a shutdown. You know, I couldn't go outside. I couldn't see my parishioners. I couldn't. Instead of, it was 2020, and I got in a really bad space mentally. I should have taken care of myself better but then i got tired and i got worn out so you hear the difference in the language so it could be as subtle as just a little bit of ownership in a really hard time or those people were out to get me and they did that and they that and they i i i have uh i went through a divorce a million years ago which i would not recommend by the way um it wasn't exciting enough for tabloids to pick it up but uh I remember my counselor saying to me, Wave, you know, no one ever heals from divorce until they figure out what part of the divorce was their fault. And he said, because I've never seen a one-sided divorce ever. And that just stuck with me. And I don't know, they're, they're like, there's probably somebody listening today who was beaten and they're like, that wasn't my fault. I get it, you know, but like, Please hear this in the spirit I'm trying to deliver it, and that is, man, I'm just learning as I get older, i got to work on getting the log out of my eye before ever talking about the splinter somewhere else. And if you want to find evidence that someone's healed from a a hard time, it's when they lead with ownership. It's so rare, Michael. I mean, like, think back to the first human mistake. That's a pretty big one, original sin, right? Yeah, that's right. God shows up in the cool of the day, and I think it's kind of funny. Uh somebody gave us a number of years ago a fig tree to keep inside. So I've I've never even been around a fig tree, but like fig leaves are the most ridiculous excuse for a covering. They're just they're scratchy, they get hard real fast, they're brittle, and uh they look dumb. And he God's walking through the garden, and he comes across Adam and he looking like idiots, dressed up and it, you know he's just shaking his head like so, Adam, what have you done? Did you eat from the shit? You remember the answer? Yeah. The answer was the woman, the one you gave me, made me do it. Like, that right. is our default. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, yeah. Eve said, well, the snake made me do it. Like, pass, pass, pass the block. If you meet somebody who owns what was their fault, what was their problem, and leads with that, I think you found someone pretty far down the road of healing. Uh, so that's two. Are they are they bringing it up on their own, or are you having to dig it out of them? And do they do they own their part, or are they talking about why other people contributed to reasons that this happened to them in a passive voice? So that's a couple off the top.
2: Yeah. No, I think that's uh, there's so much wisdom in that, and that helps folks a lot just in the discernment process. Cause again, it comes back to something you said earlier too, which is all human, none of us perfect. We all walk through, you know, these kinds of things, but it is all in sort of how we pick up and move on. And then for organizations, as they're looking to be able to use tools like these, yeah, in the discernment process, I think that's I think that's huge. Um, you know, I think another one too, this touches a little bit on something that you or a theme I think that's in a lot of, um, what you're sharing to William, which is authenticity. And that's a huge, I think, value, especially to, you know, a rising generation of not just leaders, but I think the world around us and, you know, ECFA, uh, the way we articulate our mission is enhancing trust, you know? And so in the watching world, I think authenticity today is just so huge. Um, and i'm hearing that theme in a number of the different comments that you're making about leaders who are in a healthy place there seems to be some connection here to to the authenticity of the leader absolutely and and newsflash i'm sure you guys
0: realized this before i do did there are no more fig leaves you can't hide everything you know how glad i am that my sermons are not digitized Come oh, tell me about it. <laughs> so, I mean, like, yeah, I would never make it now. And every, I mean, even that, there's just no privacy anywhere. And so what, you you know, it used to be integrity is who you are when no one else is looking. Well, everyone's looking all the time now. So it's, it's kind of over. So you might as well just be who you are and be authentic. I think uh I might put one distinction out there though, Michael, and, and it it hits on a third of these seven, Pieces of evidence, and that is: um, does a person view authenticity as telling you how much pain there's been in their life, how bad things have been, how much shame they have? Uh, let, let me walk that out a little bit. There's a say yeah. one of the one of these pieces of evidence is: did the person's failure become something they recovered from, or is it their defining mark? So we had one guy who, you know, looked at porn on the internet when he was in Bible college and, you know, he got some really great healing from it. And I mean his wife will be the first person to tell you how he's all recovered and that's great. But then we went to look at his teaching and every single talk that he did was on internet porn. It's like, okay, there's authenticity And then there's, I don't think you're over this yet. Uh. And turns out, sure enough, he wasn't. But, like, there's a saying in Alcoholics Anonymous. There's nothing more wearisome than hearing a recovering alcoholic talk about how how drunk they used to be. So I think I'm all for authenticity. But if that means, let me show you how weak I am. Let me show you how hurt I've become. Let me show you how... Let me tell you about that time I messed up over and over and over and over and over. I I think it's such a fine line that only wisdom can bring between being authentic and not trying to show the big, strong, proud man never let him see you sweat and being a victim. So, yes, authenticity. As long as it's cloaked in... um, in some joy around the gospel and that the good news wins and that my sins are forgiven oh uh, and, and that may sound like rambling i probably ought to write a paper on it to get thought through better but uh there's just authenticity totally 100 percent agree i do see some people that mistake whininess for authenticity how's that
2: yeah <laughs> that's true. That's a different, you know, it's like when you look up a synonym and they give you like 30 different options or something. Yeah, hey. there you go. Sometimes you got to parse that. Par, parse out Which synonym are we talking about? I think that's, that's good. That's right. Yeah. Hey, I want to ask you in a second, just about um, maybe some success stories or like leaders that you've seen uh, sort of run that race well, and the impact that that has on a, an organization and a culture. Um, from an integrity standpoint and healthy leadership. Before we go there, I was going to mention too, just for those that are either listening or watching this podcast, that so many of the the great nuggets of wisdom here that William has shared, they were recently even part of a joint effort that we were part of with David Fletcher, an ex-pastor, the Strengthening Integrity Workshop. So if uh, you like what you hear, uh, I know those resources are are available for free replay. I'd encourage you to check it out. So William, that's my unsolicited plug for you there. It's uh, worth, <laughs> people t- <laughs> worth people tuning in, but let's shift to some of those success stories or just as you think of, um, you know, cause you have, I'm sure you've seen the good, the bad and the ugly. We've kind of talked maybe a little bit more about some of the bad and the ugly or how to prevent it. But what do you also see just from casting a vision for for the integrity and leadership that we're all—none of us are perfect—but striving for, what kind of impact does that have on an organization and a uh, and a culture?
0: Well, I think anytime somebody can show recovery, uh, it gives a tremendous hope to the organization, and and it and it broadcasts authenticity. I don't have it all together, but I'm learning. Um. Paul saying he's the chief of all sinners that gives hope to the church at Rome so i would say you know if you've gotten in a tough spot don't think you have ruined your life in your ministry i mean i'll be the first to tell you if you still got a breath god's not done yet and and if you can somehow ask jesus to show you like what do you want me to learn from this? Where should I have been more aligned with you than I was? And start to do the hard work of recovery. I think you'll be amazed. You'll probably do more in the future than you ever did in the past. So when I see leaders who really have made the comeback, and I've seen some pretty bad slip-ups that have still turned into good stories, might not be the same story, Right? But great stories of hope. I... I, Too often the world wants to tell you you're done. You know, you 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 don't have anything left in you. You... You you screwed up too bad. Mm. No. No. The way I read it, God's forgiveness stretches as far as the east is from the west, and I don't have the ability to sin that hard. So, I just a word of encouragement to people out there, you can come back. It might take a long, hard time, but you can, and you can bring hope to organizations. And And I've even seen it become the signature of organizations. Uh, I, I know a number of uh, out people, but a number of clients we've had where the leader was very much their sh- sort of, signature message was what you're not supposed to be we're not this we're not it's the uh you ever hear of salvation by subtraction i don't drink i don't smoke i don't cuss i don't dance so i must be going to heaven like you know (laughs) it's not that was their signature and then life happens to them and they screw up and then jesus redeems restores and renews and all of a sudden they're preaching a gospel of hope that you never i'm like wow what happened to this guy it's about hope not cheap grace but hope so i i think uh people underestimate god's ability to draw a straight line with a crooked stick and uh you know doesn't mean you shouldn't pay attention to the rules doesn't mean people shouldn't have high standards but just don't underestimate how much my friend uh just across the way here now i'm gonna get in trouble my friend at lakewood joel says uh you know, your setback might be God's setup for the greatest comeback. Yes. Uh, I just, just encourage people that we are with a God of
2: second chances and seven times 70 chances. There you go. I think that's the gospel right there. And I think of, um yeah, just so many of the, like, let it not be lost on us, that so many of the just heroes of the faith that we look to, I mean, the leaders, uh, leaders of leaders that we look to in Scripture, Scripture. you know, it's like none of them, none of them are perfect or didn't have their marks. It was how God used that uh, when those people would submit, you know, what they had what they had experienced and walked through and there had to be a level of humility and obedience, but yes, God is a redeeming God. He uses those things. So I think, uh, you're not just a recovering preacher. I think you still got it. I think you still got it. So that's good. Well, William, I so appreciate this time with you. Good, good insights as always. And, uh, I don't know if you have a, a time out on this, but yeah, we'd love to, to have you back when you do, share the full hey here's the seven but in the meantime for those that are listening and watching yeah how do they stay in touch with you how can they be on the lookout yeah. for that worse well i hated
0: my last name until google was embedded because uh, it turned the the search engine guys tell me your last name is so messed up william people can misspell it about a hundred different ways and they'll still get to your website uh, so just put vanderblu and however you want to spell it into google uh, you'll end up on our page, and and one of the things we've tried to do for the last fifteen years is create free resources for leaders, so no strings attached. It's mainly stuff that I wish I had learned in seminary and never did, uh, and uh, I think you'll find some some pretty cool things there. Uh, and and one in particular that comes to mind with your clients is uh, you know one of the most awkward board conversations that I know. And one that can go sideways real fast is how much should we pay the pastor? And I mean, we want to be responsible. We also don't want to lose our pastor. But, so you'll find a ton of advice on compensation there. And, you know, if you ever need a study done, we do that kind of thing for a whole lot of people. So uh, sorry for the shameless plug there,
2: but uh, I, I think that might be helpful. No, there you go. vaderblumen.com. You'll get there. <laughs> well, you'll William. Get there get hey great to be with you as always keep up the great work my friend thanks michael thank you for all you're doing for team jesus all right it's a pleasure take care bye-bye
1: well we can't thank you enough for listening to ecfa's behind the seal podcast now i wouldn't define character as subjective but i love the wisdom that william sheridan is wildly accurate that different organizations have different character dogmas Have you ever considered what your own character dogmas might be, whether the other top leaders and the board of your organization share the same? It's something interesting to consider and to flesh out a little bit. Hey, we would love for you to share this episode with your coworkers and ministry partners. Hey, see you next time. Take care.